Welcome to the debut episode of The Long View. If you didn't see my Twitter earlier, as far as an explanation, it's based off of my game recap columns from this year called The Long View, where I take the, pre- the game for the night before and look at it with the big picture in mind and seeing just different trends and themes that are important to look into for the long haul, you know, hopefully when the Memphis Grizzlies are contending for championships. And so I'm going to be expanding on that into a podcast. So sometimes it'll be like a 10 to 15 minute game recap or conversations on a certain player on this next gen Grizzlies team, draft prospects, draft and free agent targets, storylines, the whole nine yards. Sometimes it's just going to be me for just like 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, but other times I'll have guests. And for this one in particular, I have two great guests, two guys that really have invested a lot into me and been guides for me in, in this uh, little podcast and sports media journey. And uh, before I introduce the first one in the first segment, let me let you know how you can find the show. You can find the long view on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the Core 4 Podcast, the 3D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog on SB Nation. You find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than the producer of the Giannato and Jeffrey Show every weekday from 2 to 4 on 92.9 ESPN, one of the best radio shows, actually the best radio show in the city of Memphis. It's none other than Connor Dunning. Connor, what's up, man? What's up, dude? Congratulations. I'm just going to say I have been calling you the King Climbing of GBB, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that he got his extension and you got a podcast in the same. Hey. I'm just going to say it. There's, a, there's synergy there. There's synergy there, and there's something there that I love. Congratulations, man. You really deserve it. You know, uh, I mean, you know, I've been friends for a very long time, but I truly do think that you do some of the best Grizzlies work out there. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. So congratulations. I'm really happy to be on. And you can also find me on Sound and Color. Don't forget about that good little podcast, too. We're on yeah. Apple. Oh, yeah. Sound and Color. It's really fun. We're doing all of our drafts right now. A new one's coming out. I guess whenever we're recording this on Tuesday, new one will be out mm-hmm. on Wednesday. Yeah, no, sound, I know. I'm not much of like a pop culture podcast person, honestly, with working from home and all that. I don't really have time to listen to podcasts, but Sound and Color is definitely one that I always have in my rotation. It's the only pop culture podcast in my rotation. Hey. And it's uh, my two good friends, Connor Dunning and Isaiah Downey. So check that out on Apple Podcast. And um, so this, you, so you got the gist of uh, the podcast. And yeah, yeah. first off, before we start, just what do you just, just the optimism about the future of this Grizzlies team, just kind of what you see from it, Connor? I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's still exactly, I mean, not actually, to be honest, they're ahead of schedule. Like that's, that's the optimism for me. And that's why, like, I saw something today, you know, right before we got on the podcast about like, I know a bunch of people are starting to get a little worried about Jaron. He's 21, y'all. Like he's 21. Mm-hmm. Julius Randle this year won the most improved player in the NBA. He's 26. Like we've got to give these guys time to develop. Imagine if we had considered Julius Randle a finished project and that we, and we were making declarations about him as a player when he was 21 years old, he wouldn't be in the league anymore. So like, yeah, Jaron's got some things that he, he, he needs to work on. Sure. But so 
he's 21. Give him time. His He's going to grow into his body. He's going to figure out rebounding. His shot's going to come back. Like, I guess my big thing, I guess the optimism and why I can stay so optimistic about this team. And it's one reason that you can, and Joe can, and you know, a lot of guys at GBB, I think keep the level head about it. And we do on Giannato and Jeffrey too. It's just like, they are so far ahead of schedule of where they're supposed to be. I mean, they were once again projected to finish last in the West this year. They were the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs and they took one from the number one seed. And we had some guys really step up and, and kind of show us what they could be in the future and why they could be a part of this team in that playoff series. And it was a big deal. So like, yeah, there were a few negatives this season. Like the justice Winslow thing was weird. It did suck that we didn't get to see Jaron until the last, I guess, fourth of the season, if you even want to give it a fourth, but overall, I think that the, I think that the good of this season vastly outweighed the bad and because the bad was very minuscule. It's like one of the Grizzlies biggest problems right now is we have too many good NBA players. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's credit to the job that Zach Kleiman's done. I mean, newly King, extended. King Kleiman, please. King Kleiman, please. King Kleiman. Yes. King Kleiman, Mr. Kleiman, uh, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest GMs in the league, the Theo Epstein of the NBA. Yeah, the, it's just the nicknames can go on and on. I know you appreciate that as a Red Sox fan, uh, un- unfortunately, but. Um, Connor, I just something I'm going to talk to you about and then our guests in the next segment is just uh, kind of the theme of this podcast is just looking into the to the greater good of everything and just really trying to look at the scope of what this team's going to look like two, three, four, five years down the road. And I, I just want to know from this season in particular, what was what is probably your biggest big picture takeaway from this year? My biggest big picture takeaway, I still think, is that the Grizzlies are ahead of schedule. I I do think that that is my biggest big picture takeaway in that when the season started, you know, you and I talked on a few podcasts and we really wanted this season to be about incremental improvement across the board on the team. And I think that we got that, except for guys like Justice Winslow. But I still think that there's an asterisk with that. And we can talk about that in a minute if we want to. But I think with the guys that played, Every single one of them showed that they can do something on the court that they couldn't do last year. I mean, go down the lineup, go down the roster, but they were playing 10, 10, 11 men every single night for a reason. It's because every guy could step on the basketball court and produce. Everybody had a moment this season. Even John Conchar had a moment this season. I think that mm-hmm. having that is so important because yeah, you had the, the youngest team in the NBA, but they still showed that that didn't matter. And I also think that a huge part of that and them being ahead of schedule and, you know, everybody and in, in, incremental, improvements across the roster i also think that you know that contributed to building a real culture i think is maybe i guess that could be the biggest takeaway is that you know it really felt like that they established a culture this year we saw flashes of it last year and what it could be but to be honest the rise of db island this year and dylan brooks i mean like we joke about it and like he's our guy and like we've gone to war over him in the past Mm -hmm. but like we can joke about it all that we want. That dude is the heart and soul of this team. And he, he set what the, what the tone's going to be where, I mean, how many times did we think that they were, that they were out of the games in the jazz series. And then we'd be like, well, there they come back. The another eight Oh run nine Oh run. This team just refuses, refuses to die. They refuse to give up. They refuse to not perform on the court. And I think that that's really important, especially with a young group of guys like this, it's really hard to find a group this talented, this young that has this IQ 
that has this chemistry and that has this heart. I mean, look at the teams of the past that are super young. Look at a team called the Minnesota Timberwolves right now up there and how much difficulty they're having with a young roster. It's just, it really does feel like that the group of guys that they have get it. And then you get to throw in, you know, Kyle Anderson's and Jonas Valanciunas's guys that have been in the league a little bit longer and they can help guide these young Grizzlies and into the, kind of their next phase. Because, I mean, I think that we know what the next step is. They have to start closing these games. You know, they can really start making runs. It's, it's not going to be as sporadic with, guys that are popping up like it's consistency it's consistent greatness is what they're going to go for and I think that they've really proven this season that that is possible in the future I mean we saw jaw every single game that was huge he stepped up in Dylan Brooks for the last two months of the season I don't think he had a dud I think that we looked it up a couple weeks ago on Giannano and Jeffrey I think the last bad game that he had was in March and it wasn't that Mm. bad of a game you know and I think in a weird way I think it was the Celtics game that they won I think it was that game that he, he wasn't very good. And it's, it's having guys like him being able to step up and improve his role because especially with Dylan, I mean, we talked about a lot in the off season, you know, I had to, you and I had to go on that podcast and argue about, is he, even oh, a yeah. player, which just looks ridiculous. I'm, I'm sorry. It looks ridiculous now that mm-hmm. we even had that conversation because you and I were like, yeah, he's an NBA player at worst. He's going to be a six man in the league, but now he's proven he's one of the best two way shooting guards in the league or wings if you want to call him that he is yeah he's one of the best two-way guys in the league not many guys can give you what he can give you on offense and what he can give you on defense he showed that he can be he can stay within an offense he's not going to get all crazy the fouls have to go down but you know what that's part of the reason what makes him a great defender you know he didn't foul out of that many games you get six you might as well use them so i think just the overall culture building and to be honest the rise of dylan brooks i think two those are two of the top things that you can take from this season Absolutely. And you, you mentioned that culture and, you know, everybody always says when it comes to building a young team, the hardest part is getting your guy. And the yeah. Grizzlies immediately got that with John Morant. They got the, se- the second hardest part is that culture aspect. We, you, you brought up Minnesota as a, as a cautionary tale. They got Carl Anthony Towns and they got a little bit of that culture when they brought in Jimmy Butler and Derek Rose, but we, we know what happened there. Nobody was built for Jimmy Buckets. It's the guy that they wanted to be their number two didn't. Ha- I mean, I like Andrew Wiggins as a player. I thought that he was really good this year for Golden State. Didn't have the heart. Didn't want to do it. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, the Grizzlies have the guys behind John Morant. They're like, what do we have to do? What do we have right. to do? And that's and- what matters. It matters that you have these guys shooting after games when they have bad performances because it matters that much to them it's not yeah yeah you could say that it's it's self-serving or that it's oh they're doing it for the cameras or whatever but to, at the end of the day are they really like they're doing it they're, they're, they're doing, doing it at the end of the day be better and guess what if they're doing it because they want us to be happy and to please us and so that and they play better on the court that's what they're supposed to be doing anyway so i'm gonna praise them for it i mean you mm-hmm. don't see that happening in other places it's it's really really encouraging the heart and just to be honest the work ethic that these guys have. Absolutely. And you brought up like people falling in line. And I, I do think one of the biggest things is getting tone setting veterans like Jonas Valanciunas and Kyle Anderson, who have played in systems like the Toronto Raptors and San Antonio Spurs to the best organizations, top to bottom of the past decade. Uh, yeah. Jay Crowder last year, who's just been that journeyman vet. He's been in different situations. He knows, he knows what a toxic situation looks like, aka that uh, last uh, LeBron year of Cleveland. That was that was a mess, but he's also been a part of really good cultures like that Boston Celtics and the Utah Jazz. He knows what it's what it takes to be in this league. And if Joe listened to this part, he would probably kill me. But you also had guys like Dylan Brooks fall on the line, and 
he really kind of had like an autocorrect from last season. And he really looked at himself in the mirror and said, what do I need to do to help this team win? Because I wasn't enough in the bubble. And he stepped up and you can look at his defensive performances with like the matchup down. And like, Oh, like that's awesome. Like that's great. That that's why it needs to be all defense, whatever. But if, if you talk to him about his defense, like in media scrums, or if you listen to podcast interviews or stuff like that, he is a savant for film. He talks and about it like Tony Allen talks about it. He does. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that might be the a little bit of grime father influence with him being in the form every day, but that's besides my point, but you really saw a different, Dylan Brooks take on more of a leadership role. I mean, he had Destin Bain under his wing from day one. And, you know, it, it's kind of like they're they're ahead of schedule. Let's be remember when uh John Morant went down and we were all like talking about, oh, should they go get Kate Cunningham or Jalen Green? Right. And then those expectations shifted to, oh, the Grizzlies need to be trying to get the sixth seed. You know, like they they're it means they're ahead of schedule. They're they're ahead of schedule. Uh, next season is going to be fascinating because it's going to be kind of the first one where we're like expectations. Okay, this needs to be a playoff team. I mean, it has to be. Yeah, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, they made it this year. To be honest, like I think it's it's going to be a disappointment next season if they don't make the playoffs. You know, it's the that's why you know this year I think was so joyous for so many of us because it was a it was a free shot. It was a season of no expectations to where. Once we realized pretty early on that they were going to exceed what they were projected to be, we were like, everything else is a cherry on top. Just don't get hurt. And then they didn't. So that's great. So yeah, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. One thing about DB though, um, you know, last year he did, you know, after in the exit interviews and during the off season, he talked about how he wanted to, you know, be a more efficient player to be more of a playmaker, to really work on his defense. And some people kind of laughed at him about that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And to be honest, man, like he's one of the best bargains in the NBA now when you look at his contract because Easily. He, came in, he came into the season and he stuck to those guns. And yeah, he had some games where he would shoot 10 for 28. But to your point, that, those were when Ja was out. That's when Jaron was out. That's when we had all these injuries and he kind of had to do that. It was forced upon him. I think the, the really the encouraging sign of Dylan is that when everybody was healthy, he was having games where he was able to get to 20 points, 25 points, but he didn't have to shoot the ball 25 times. And I think that that is such a big deal on the offensive end for the Grizzlies. If you can really give Ja two other scoring options, especially one that can create off the dribble like Dylan can, it really raises the ceiling for this team in the future. Absolutely. And uh, before we uh, get into the next segment, one thing I do want to bring up with you because it's about that culture aspect and just being ahead of schedule is one of the things that you had said was the biggest problem was the Grizzlies. They have too many NBA guys, probably yeah. one of the, the better problems to have granted. I mean, it, it is kind of gut wrenching, you know, you're, you're riding high with a guy and he's benched because there's just too many NBA guys and he's struggling, whether it's Brandon Clark, justice Winslow, Xavier Tillman, Melton, we saw with Grayson yeah. Allen and Melton. Uh, we we had a little bit of a Tyus Jones benching, and that was that was the one that actually caused like the most fire among everyone was Tyus Jones. Because well, that one and, I think made the least sense to everybody. We were like, I'm yeah, <laughs> like we were like, oh yeah, we like we were like, oh come on. But the biggest thing in that is just that culture really showed there because none of those guys they never looked dejected or anything. Yeah. They you know they stayed engaged. And they stayed encouraging their teammates and being up on the bench, talking to their guys. And then when their number was called, they showed out. I mean, Xavier Tillman, yeah, 
when he came back from the DMP CD, he was better than Brandon Clark. Mm-hmm. And when D'Anthony Melton had that one or two game DMP CD, he, he showed why he's the best shooting on the team. And then you got Grayson Allen, who he came back from injury, was benched a couple games. And then he had like a month, month and a half stretch. So he looks like a TikTok JJ Reddick. Right. Well, and that's why like everything that you just said kind of goes back to what we were talking about when we first started the show is that, you know, it's, it's about that consistency that they're looking for you. Like that's the next step. Like we saw the flashes, we saw the potential. I guess you could say like this season was, was the season of potential and what could be next season is okay. What are you? Like, what are you now? Mm-hmm. Like you, and a lot of these guys are going to be going into like a contract year where it's like, okay, you got to prove it now, man. Like, do you want to be a part of this core moving forward? So I do think that like, we're, we're coming up, we're coming to some really tough decisions coming up with some of these guys here. But again, it's a good problem to have. And I guess another big picture thing, you know, I, I forgot to mention it is that um, Xavier Tillman, man, and, and Bain, they had a great season. They had great mm-hmm. rookie seasons. And it's just, it shows again that this front office and this team, they know what they're doing. And I do, I'm going to be honest, like I know that, you know, some media, media members got frustrated with the team and how they operated this season, but I'm going to be like, they're sticking to their plan. They're sticking to their guns. They're doing exactly what they said that they're going to set out to do. And I kind of have to respect that because I haven't seen it not work yet. You know what I mean? So if it goes off the rails, you know, I'll, I'll say something about it, but right now it's all working and they are still ahead of schedule. So until they get behind schedule or something has clearly gone wrong, let's just enjoy the ride. It's okay to enjoy the ride with this team. It's, it's this whole like ring or nothing culture. I think it's kind of ruined moments like this. Like, so many NBA reporters and, and writers, Zach Lois said it, how, you know, we're in the most fun part other than winning a championship and being a contender. This is the most fun part to be on an NBA team. You feel like that you found that indie band before they hit it big and that you're kind of like, okay, not a lot of people know about us yet. It still kind of feels indie, you know, only a few of us have this and, and you're enjoying the party before everybody gets there. And I think it's a special moment and really, really enjoy it because I think next season might be the last little inkling that we get of that, you know? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. The best time to be an NBA fan for a team is right is when they're good, right before they're supposed to be good. Right. We're seeing that with Memphis. And you know, you, you mentioned your the, the Grizzlies that people bash the process, but there's a reason why the process worked. And there's a reason why Zach Kleiman got an extension after two years on the job. Right. So it's been awesome. But Connor, uh, just to get you out on this. A little non-basketball question. You, you brought up that comparison of the indie band and before they hit mainstream. What's an indie band that you found before they hit big time? Hit big time? Oh, man, I don't know. That's a really – Or not big time. I became more well-known. How about that? Um, I feel like I was in on Mount Joy pretty early. I think that they were one that during the pandemic a lot of people kind of found. Mount Joy, I mean, Greta Van Fleet, I was on them pretty early. I do want to give a shout-out. You know, my brother does does music, and he's about to be traveling – with the band. I do want to give a shout out to the black hippies, a, a local band in Memphis. They're really good. Check them out. They're going to be going on tour soon. So they'll be looking for that. We'll have them on sound and color to interview them a little bit. So, you know, it, but it's, I guess it's more so for me, movies probably for me would be more of a better comparison. Okay. Do, do the movie one then. Oh, gee, see, that's even almost harder. That's almost harder. I'm trying to think of one. I mean, it, they're kind of like the big Lebowski. How about we'll go with that? Like they're, they're big, they're the big Lebowski. They're quirky. 
you know, not a people, not a people know about them yet, but they do have a star Jeff Bridges that can carry them. And they have all these supporting characters that turn out to be amazing. You know, I mean, some of the supporting characters in the big Lebowski are some of the best parts of it. You got the John Goodman's in there. You got the, <laughs> you got the Philip Seymour Hoffman's in there. It's, so you got the DB, you got the, you got the Jaren in there. So I guess the big Lebowski is a good one to put it where, you know, it took, it took the big Lebowski like a couple of years to really grab that cult classic status. And I think that this team, you know, the NBA, like the film nerds love the big Lebowski. They got it. The art, the high concept. And I think that the, the NBA nerds and the hardcore NBA fans are like, dude, the Grizzlies, like they're the next team. They're the next big thing. Get in on the ground level. You're not going to want to miss it. You don't want to miss the train and shout out to Stewie. You're like jump on the train, jump on the Grizzlies train because it's getting fun. And it's going to the top of the box office. It is going to the moon. Thank you so much, Connor. Let us know where we can find you. Yeah, man. Every single day, two to four CT on Junato and Jeffy. We're having a ton of fun with it. We're going to have fun segments coming up because it is the summer and not as many sports are going on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cdunning929. You can listen to Sound and Color Pod or on Twitter as well, Sound Color Pod. A new episode's coming out on Wednesday. We are doing, right now we're doing a series of, we're drafting the greatest performances of all time. It's been a ton of fun. Isaiah and I are just breaking each other's heart every single episode. Uh, so go check that out, man. Thank you. Once again, thank you for having me on. Congratulations. This is going to be great. I can't wait to listen to this on my drives to work. It's going to be great. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Connor, for everything. And we will be right back with our next guest. All right. So we are back from the first segment where we talked with 92.9's Connor Dunning. And with me is really my media mentor, the guy that's given me the green light on pretty much everything from being in the FedEx form covering games to doing film breakdowns, talking to players, talking to Coach Jenkins, and now having my own podcast. None other than the undertaker of Grizzlies blogging himself, Joe Mornax. Joe, how's it going? It's weird that the script is flipped, huh? Check this out. You're having you you have your own show now. What a big deal you are. You have a logo and everything. I know. And yeah, shout out to Will Stone for that. Shout out Will Stone. Talented Will Stone. He does all of our graphics for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. But you know, I'm really excited because. I, like Connor, I mentioned in the first segment where we're covering a team that's ahead of schedule. And like the purpose of this podcast is to talk about just what lies ahead in this schedule two, three, four, five years down the road, where hopefully we're talking about a team, Joe, that's hopefully throwing parades on Beale Street for championships. Absolutely. And I think that the wonderful thing about our podcast network, which the long view now converting from a full recap to a podcast hosted by you. Uh, I think that's a brilliant move because the long view continues, right? Like we can, we can all agree that expectations should be rising and that the Grizzlies should be expected to be a playoff team moving forward. Maybe not a top four seed just yet, depending on what happens uh, this offseason, what kind of moves they make. But if it happens the way that most of us think it will, and it's more those moves around the edges, then, you know, top six, being out of the play-in, perhaps, would be a realistic goal, trying to shoot for the six, seven seed area. I think early on, before any moves are actually made, that feels like a fair uh, goal for this version of the Grizzlies. So you're still not in that championship mode yet. So the long view continues, and I think you uh, taking the reins of this podcast is very smart, and I'm very proud of you and all the work that you've done. You know, you, you have been immensely valuable to me at GBB, and you, you deserve this opportunity to have your own show and run with it. Um, 
I'm I'm looking forward to watching the show grow just the same way you have as a uh, as a contributor and an editor at GBB. Well, Joe, I didn't I didn't bring up a tissue box, but <laughs> we'll we'll get back into something a little more lighthearted. I appreciate all, all the kind words, but I do want to get your biggest big picture takeaway from this season, just as we're talking about the long view picture of the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, well, I, I know in the first segment, Connor talked about being ahead of schedule, and he's exactly right. This team had no business having a winning record this year, considering the Jaron Jackson Jr. Everybody thought and continues to think that he is their second key piece, uh, that second cornerstone next to John Morant. Now, can he be that guy moving forward? Is he really a number three? I think that's one of the questions they still have to answer, and that's probably why a major trade doesn't happen, because the jury is still out on Jaron Jackson Jr., we do know that John Morant's a superstar, and, and that's a big plus. You've got your number one. The question is, who's the number two? Uh, my biggest takeaway from this season is the continuation of the building of the Grizzlies standard, the Grizzlies culture, uh, whatever you want to call it. But that is what Parker is going to lead to this team being able to eventually contend for a championship. It's not going to be recruiting major superstars like Brooklyn did, convincing KD and Kyrie to come to Brooklyn and be part of the Nets. It's going to be their ability to build something from within that players believe in. And that's really hard to do on any level of sport. You know, in my day job, I'm a, I'm a head football coach. And, you know, that, that's hard to do with 15 and 16-year-olds at the high school level to get kids to buy into something bigger than themselves. To be a coach like Taylor Jenkins, especially the age of Taylor Jenkins, to be a general manager, again, the age, of Zach Kleiman. And of course the Grizzlies are young, but these are also multimillionaires, right? Like the Anthony Melton makes $9 million. Okay. He's, he's, he's extremely well-paid compared to his age. He's a 22 year old or 23 year old now mm-hmm. uh, multimillionaire. Uh, same thing with John Morant, a 21 year old multimillionaire. Th- same thing with Jaron Jackson jr. They have more money at, at the age of 21 than I will ever know. So to get those guys to buy into something bigger than themselves, and want to be a part of it. Kyle Anderson talked about that in the exit media interviews. That is not easy. That's extremely difficult, actually. And the culture that they're building, the standard that Taylor Jenkins talks about all the time, I know you're in a lot more of those media calls than me, Parker, and you hear him say that word, standard, 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 almost constantly. It's almost a daily occurrence that he brings up that word, playing to their standard. And and I do believe that that is something that they have bought into because they've been a part of the building process. And that's the key. The key to any organization and leadership group having success is making the players or making the people that are technically quote unquote under the leader feel like they are actively building it. And I believe that Dylan Brooks has shown that he is truthfully helping build it through his mentality, the way that he plays the game. You know, the heart and soul of the Grizzlies isn't John Morant. I I think it's, it's Dylan Brooks, the soul of this team belongs to Dylan. Ja gets the hype, rightfully so. And Ja, I think, stirs the drink in terms of what the future is for this franchise. But in terms of the Grizzlies standard, in terms of the culture that's being established, in terms of what you hope free agents want to be a part of in the future, or what you hope Kyle Anderson and and Jonas Valanciunas, one of those two, or both if you choose, want to stick around at a reasonable price tag to do as they build the franchise up, You want guys that want to be a part of that. 
when you're in a small market where you aren't going to get LeBron James to just randomly choose you because Hollywood is down the street, you, you have to be in a position to build something bigger that players want to be a part of for basketball reasons, for, in, for team reasons, wanting that continuity, wanting that culture, wanting that ability to unify as part of something that they feel like they can be an active participant in constructing. And that's what the Grizzlies have done. And it's a credit to Zach Kleiman. It's a credit to Taylor Jenkins. It's a credit to the players, you know, to have a superstar like John Morant, who has proven time and again, he could average 28 points a game. I don't think that's a stretch. If he really wanted to, he could go out and do that pretty consistent, at least 25, at least 25 a game. I believe that in my heart from watching Mm -hmm. him play, but that's not his style of play. That's not the kind of guy he is. And it starts with Joe. You know, Dylan gets credit for being that soul. But in terms of buying in to this ideal, it starts with your best player. And John Morant is your best franchise player moving forward. So it starts with him and it trickles down this, this ability to believe in something larger than themselves and be willing to accept that. And part of it is them being young and, and perhaps not knowing any better. There's a benefit to that, of course. But I also think that there is a truth to the type of guy that they're actively looking for. Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, uh, obviously Melton via trade, Grayson Allen via trade. There's a, they have a distinct type. Our Sean Coleman figured it out so well that he called the Grizzlies draft picks uh, several months ago. Plus so the two-way. They, right. Plus the two-way. You're exactly right. So I, I think that it's, it's a testament to what they are establishing, that they're consistent with what they expect and they don't allow others, whether it's John Morant, I kind of wrote about that with my infinity war piece earlier in the week, you know, whether it's John Morant's, you know, own personal vendetta against people doubting him or it's Desmond Bain only getting one scholarship offer for a division one program all up and down the roster. You have guys that have reason to feel like they've been slighted or reason to feel that they've been overlooked and a desire to want to, prove people wrong and prove themselves right for believing in themselves. And that's Memphis in a nutshell. So while it is not grit and grind, and I don't think anything will ever be grit and grind because of the personalities that were involved, this next generation of the Grizzlies is finding a way to possibly catch lightning in a bottle again with a group of young players that have a similar mindset, that have a similar goal in terms of how they want to play the game, And despite the fact that they're multimillionaires and despite the fact that John Morant could play that diva card if he wanted to, because he's earned it at this stage in terms of the NBA being a player league, even though he's so young, I think that you have to tip your cap to their mentality and how they've established a culture at this stage. One that is distinctly unique among a lot of these NBA teams, the way that they style themselves defensively, offensively, They have, in a short amount of time, established that there is an identity with this next generation of Grizzlies basketball, and it it is like grit and grind, and it's not. It is uniquely theirs, and that is, like I said, if it continues this way, we're not at grit and grind levels yet, obviously, but if it continues this way, lightning will will, uh, be caught in a bottle twice for the city of Memphis, and that's just simply unprecedented. Absolutely. And I really kind of just want to hit on that standard part. It's something Connor and I briefly touched on in the first segment, but I know Charles Barkley said this. I want to say the first national TV game the Grizzlies had this season. I want to say it was the Martin Luther King game. 
or it was very Spursian how this culture and standards being set. And the, the way that it sticks with me is just how they've, how coach Jenkins has implemented this nice plug and play system where they're humming regardless of who's in. I mean, I'm looking at this game log right now for Killian Tilly and they won games against Dallas, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Miami with Killian Tilly and John Conchar getting rotation minutes. They found a way, or I'm not going to say find a way. That's, that's a, kind of unacceptable there. They made the playoffs this season with Grayson Allen starting the majority of games at the shooting guard position. Now imagine, Joe, if somebody told you before this season started that Grayson Allen was going to be the primary starting shooting guard this entire season, where do you think they would be in the West? I would have had them as out, probably the 11th seed, competing for the mm. play-in, but not being the nine. They, they would have been outside. And, and I think that we have to keep in mind, Grayson's a great example too, Parker. When that trade happened in 2019, there were people that questioned whether or not he was an NBA player. Like he mm. was a fringe NBA player, not a fringe starter on a playoff team, which is exactly what Grayson Allen was this past season. He was a fringe NBA player. So that is a great example of exactly what we're talking about. Taking somebody that is overlooked, taking somebody that is not appreciated, taking somebody that is seen as an afterthought and making them and developing them and giving them the license to showcase their confidence. Because if you make it to this level of basketball, Parker, you have to have elite confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you can be a professional athlete and not believe that when you step on the floor, on the field, whatever your sport is, you are the absolute best at it on the planet. And that is the strength of Dylan Brooks. He truly believes that. Is he right? Of course he's not right. But he, he believes it, and he executes it, and he works so hard at it that at times he shows flashes of it. And to a lesser extent, that's Grayson Allen. He has a similar mentality. So it, it, it's that type. It's that grizzly standard that all of these dudes buy into, and that's how they are able to overachieve because they do not believe in what the outside world sees of them. They understand that the people in that organization are the ones that are going to dictate what their future is, not those outside of it. Exactly. And it kind of goes along with my original big picture takeaway, but, you know, we, we touched a lot on just like the culture and standard and stuff like that, and, you know, getting into this guy for my takeaway, I don't want to give a little snooze fest for my first episode. That's the last thing I, I want to do. But, like, to the credit with the culture is Taylor Jenkins has showed that he deserves a pretty long leash than what the fans are really giving him when it comes to being that guy that can potentially take that because he's seen a greater heights. I think we're used to it so often because most of the uh, traditional NBA setup is is you have your first year your first head coach that you know kind of goes with the team with the growing pains he gets fired they bring in another coach it takes a level bring in another coach takes another level we saw it firsthand in Memphis with uh Mark Ivoroni then Lionel Hollins and then Dave Yeager but I mean I I think Taylor Jenkins has been exceptional and he kind of deserves a little bit of a longer leash and more more flowers perhaps I mean I've written about it recently where he, he's done a great job in instilling confidence in this team. And, you know, Zach Kleiman or John Morant being a star, that deserves probably the most credit. And then second is Zach Kleiman for getting the right personnel 
But the third one is Taylor Jenkins for being the guy day in and day out, setting that Grizzly standard, collaborating with Zach Kleiman to see what kind of standard they want and maximizing guys like Dylan Brooks, Grayson Allen, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, Killian Tilly, John Conchar, like French, your French guys there, and then like Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain, guys like that. So I think he just I it made me think of that because you know there's pe- there's people out there Joe that they want to hire a coach who coached a team to first round exits in four of the past five years despite having a perennial top five MVP candidate every single season they want to hire a coach that coached a team that had Damian Lillard and Lamarcus Aldridge and somehow lost to a Grizzlies team that lost Mike Conley in the middle of the series in five games. It, it just dumbfounded me how, how ridiculous that is just because Taylor Jenkins is a 36-year-old head coach. He needs time, too. Right, and, and I do believe that it's important to point out that Terry Stotts was given an opportunity to plateau before he was fired or before he wasn't brought back, whatever the mutual agreement was. You know, he he made a Western Conference Finals. He had a chance to get to that point of success and then not get over the hump. And obviously the GM there in Portland, he, he's 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 dug a nice little hole for himself that he's going to fall mm-hmm. in the way that he's handled that whole process. Uh, the, the next guy better fix it or else it's going to be the GM's head that's going to roll. Uh, Olshi, I think, is his name. But anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the, with, the, with Taylor Jenkins. You have to remember he's 36, which is extremely young for an NBA head coach. I think he's the second youngest in the NBA. He's growing right along with his team, and he's going to make mistakes, and he's going to hopefully learn from them. And I think if you see as the team, again, expectations have returned, I think it's fair to expect a playoff appearance from this team next season, barring injury and all those uh, assorted things that can happen. If he doesn't learn from the mistakes of adjusting defensively, if he doesn't learn – from the mistakes of challenges. If he doesn't learn from the mistakes of rotation experimentation in pretty poor times, I think then fans will have more of an opportunity to judge him. But the Grizzlies are still on an upward plane. They're still on an upward trend. They're not going backwards. It's not like you're looking at these years and these seasons as wasted time, like you might have with the peak of grit and grind. If you get to the second round and you lose, with Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, Marcus Gasol, Mike Conley, all at the peak of their powers, maybe then you're a little more frustrated. We haven't seen the best John Morant yet. We certainly haven't seen the best Jaron Jackson Jr. yet. There, there are multiple players up and down this roster that you can say they haven't reached their peak. And until we see that, and until we give Coach Jenkins credit for reaching that opportunity himself, you know, it's easy to say, though, oh, look at Steve Nash. He's doing it in his first year. Well, Steve Nash has three of the top five or 10 offensive players in the NBA playing for him. And I think it's pretty easy to coach when you've got guys that are friends, especially in Katie and Kyrie and Harden too. You know, they're all willing to share the ball. They're all willing to play. Everybody eats and, and the Nets look like a monster. That doesn't mean that Nash is some brilliant basketball mind. It means that he's in a fortunate situation. Taylor Jenkins has taken a less than fortunate situation where your best players are Jonas Valanciunas, who had a great year, but, has flaws. John Morant's a 21-year-old point guard who has flaws. Jaron Jackson Jr. was hurt most of the year. So you have some talent and you have some guys that are being developed, but you're not anywhere near the caliber 
of a Utah Jazz team, of a Phoenix Suns team with Chris Paul at the helm. You, you, you have a bunch of work still to do. The, the build is still continuing. Just because expectations are back doesn't mean that the rebuild is completely over. It, it is done in the sense that you're no longer saying, oh, it's okay if they don't make the playoffs. I think next season, if they don't make the playoffs, it'll be a disappointment. So therefore, there is expectation. But the rebuild continues in terms of the roster. They are still a dude away. They still need to figure out what Jaron Jackson Jr. is. They still need to figure out what Justice Winslow is or if they want to pay the money that it's going to cost to find out. So there's unanswered questions. But one of the questions that was answered this season, at least for me, is can Taylor Jenkins continue to develop this team and get the most out of them? And I think the answer is yes. They're not ready to be a championship contender. And that's okay. Like their coach doesn't have to be a championship coach yet. All he needs to do is continue to get better and grow alongside his roster. And I think he's more than capable of doing that. Absolutely. And so I want to give my takeaway in a form of a question. And then I'll let you answer and I'll answer. Let's say post Jonas Valanciunas starting center era. John Jaron are one and two. Have the Grizzlies found a potential third starter on that quote-unquote next great Grizzlies team? If so, how many? Another starter? Um, starter, yeah. I think Dylan Brooks has probably proven he's that, he's that guy. Uh, and that's crazy to say because, again, going into the season, I was the guy banging the drum of sixth man. I, I think he's the sixth man, sixth man, sixth man. And uh, it's possible that's still true but I'm less certain of it now than I was before, if that makes sense. I'm more, I'm more certain that Dylan Brooks is that guy than Kyle Anderson is. I will say that. And I think that's a compliment to Dylan Brooks and what he's done this season. And Kyle had a great season too. Um, I, I don't think that third guy's on the team yet. I could see them, and you and I have talked about this, and I talked with Sean Coleman about it on the Locked On Grizzlies podcast too, our Sean Coleman of GBB, uh, about I could see them trading up in the end of the lock. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. If they believe Corey Kispert, if they believe Moses Moody, and I know you know these guys a lot more than I do, I, this is always the time of the year that I start my research. You're, you're well ahead of me. But whether it's a Kispert, whether it's a Moody, I know you guys have talked about Zaire Williams a little bit in terms of upside. Uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of bigger wings that can handle the ball, can shoot the ball, can be that offensive relief for Jaw that, that isn't, you know, a six foot two DeAnthony Melton. I think that that could be the next guy. And I think that we talked about the Grizzly standard and the culture, you know, Bradley Beal, if you made a big swing for him or a Zach Levine or, you know, that type of a player, it, it would come with risk because you're bringing in an outside force into that culture. If you draft somebody that is a, a late lottery type, they become indoctrinated with it because they are the rookie to John Morant's third-year player or Jaron Jackson Jr.'s fourth-year player or Dylan Brooks's fourth-year or fifth-year, actually, excuse me, mm. player. Uh, you know, they, those are guys that have already established what it means to be a Grizzly, and they're teaching the young, talented wing what it is. So I think that while Malcolm Brogdon's fun to talk about, and I do believe he'd be a perfect fit, the, the, the most likely scenario for them – is to acquire that guy through the draft because it gives them cap flexibility. It gives them the ability to control that contract for the you know seven, eight, nine years, whatever it is. And it also allows for them to continue to build that standard and allow for guys that are key parts of their future to be grizzly born and bred, 
if that makes sense. Memphis born and bred. And, and I, that doesn't mean that they won't make a big move. I could see them doing that. But especially with the questions behind Jaron Jackson Jr., I think it's more likely that we hear rumors about uh, 17 overall in Grayson Allen or 17 overall in a heavily protected future first to the Hornets or the Pacers for, you know, number 11 or number 13 in the late lottery. And they try to move up to get one of those stud wings that they believe can, can be part of that next great Grizzly team. And, and, and I, I do believe that that is where they'll get that guy, whether it's this draft in 2022, you know, there, there's eventually going to be a big move where they move up in a draft or they go and, and bring in some star from the outside and they, they make that push. I don't know that it's necessarily now. I could see them trying to continue to do that through the draft if there's somebody they really like in the late lottery. Oh, yeah, I feel that. I I do think that, especially with the season that Utah just had, that 2022 pick looks a lot more enticing than it did coming into the season when we didn't know the chemistry issues with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, the age deal with Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich. They, they erased all that doubt, and you could see that pick uh, being traded in this draft to move up. And I, I'm going to answer it with, I think they might, I'm going to put two with an asterisk. I think Dylan Brooks has solidified himself as like a starting three in this league. He, he proved this season he's best positioned as a three. And I want to go ahead and I'm going to put that asterisk. Being, and you're going to be proud of me. I think you're, you're going to have me stick with this podcast for this take. Because this one will come sooner. I think Desmond Baines is starting shooting guard next year for the Grizzlies. I do mm-hmm. love Desmond Baines. The love you. Renewed we, for season two already. Because we saw what Coach Jenkins is looking for next to John Morant. He, in his backcourt, he wants somebody who's going to space the floor, shoot a lot of threes, do a little bit of stuff off the dribble. That's Desmond Baines' MO. And the thing that he has against Grayson Allen is yes, size. And I'm just talking about his biceps. I mean, he's like two inches taller than them as well. He can endure a little bit more physicality inside than uh, Grayson Allen can. He's probably a, bit, a better playmaker as well. But uh, I think with an actual NBA offseason where instead of two weeks to four weeks of, hey, this is what you need to have to get ready for this season, he's going to have like three or four months plus a little bit of summer league. I, I think Desmond Bain could be a very good uh, sophomore leap, perhaps not like a, you know, not not like a Siakam-esque leap, but why can't he come in next season and average 11 and a half, 12 points and shoot 45% from three as a starting shooting guard, as well as like three or four, like three, three and a half assists. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think just based off what we saw this season with Coach Jenkins and how he wants to build next to John Morant, that floor spacer that kind of, I'm going to use the term, shifts the gravity away from John Morant in a sense and opens up the floor from him, it's going to pay dividends. And when you're surrounding John Morant with a roller like Valanciunas and then Jaron Jackson Jr., Destin Payne, and Dylan Brooks roaming the perimeter looking for threes, it's, it's going to be a fun offense next season, as soon as next season. I mean, even beyond, like, if they don't make that, like, let's say they may do like what Toronto did and wait to make that big trade, you know, when they've been a one seed for a while and need that final leap, then they do that. Then I, I think there's a shot that you can look into like the next couple of years where Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks are both in your starting lineups. 
you you were renewed for season two with Desmond Bain, and then you used the term gravity, and now that auto renewal ha- has been has been taken away. No, I, I think you're on to something there. I, I'm a big Desmond Bain believer. I would have been fine with starting DeAnthony Melton too, because there were plenty of numbers that suggested that Melton could have been uh, a perfectly fine shooting guard. I just don't think it's Grayson Allen, and and that's not even to disrespect Grayson Allen, because Grayson Allen had a good season. He did exactly what Taylor Jenkins wanted him to do. He shot a ton of threes, and he defended without fouling, and, and he gave good effort on that end. He wasn't always efficient defensively, but he gave good effort. He didn't foul, and he shot a ton of threes. And I think that more than anything else, and he could create off the dribble a little bit better than Desmond. I think Desmond was better at that than people gave him credit for, but Grayson was still a little bit better this past season. But like you said, Bain has an offseason to grow his, his skill set, I think he knows exactly what Jenkins wants him to improve at. And, and like I said, I, I think Grayson Allen, considering he's going to be up for an extension soon, whereas Melton and Bain are both under contract for the next three seasons, I think Grayson makes the most sense to be tagged. If you're going to move a player to move up in a draft, I think Grayson, a pick and 17, probably gets you into the late top 10-ish range, if I had to guess. Two first, obviously 17 counting as a first. So in Essentially, one first, uh, a few like maybe the Utah pick and Grayson plus 17. I don't see why that wouldn't get you to 11. And in theory, if you're getting to 11, Moses Moody, Corey Kispert, somebody like that should be there. And that, that makes the most sense to me in terms of trying to go and get a talent that you really are passionate about as opposed to sitting and waiting and hoping somebody falls to you. I could see Memphis being a little more aggressive trying to get into the tail end of the lottery. But uh, Desmond Bain is a guy that's going to be a key part of that next great Grizzlies team. He's not going anywhere. He provides a very important skill. He's already a lead at it. He's only going to get better. Uh, I'm a big believer in Bain for sure. Absolutely. And Joe, that's about all the time we have. But just close – just close with uh, any final remarks you have and just where the people can find you on Twitter to scream at you for takes that you just believe in. Or to just attack me for not being an attractive basketball player, I guess. That was, <laughs> I caught a serious stray today from Anthony Sane, your, your good friend, my longtime friend, old Sane, ripping me apart for the Loyota Chicago big man who's going to get a workout with the Grizzlies. He does kind of look like that. I can't even be mad at that he, yeah kind of, it, it's actually kind of eerie um but anyway i digress um you can follow me on twitter at joe mullinax you can follow the blog at sbn grizzlies uh there's so much good content you know we have the draft coming up obviously and parker has done a good job the last couple of years leading our coverage for that so i look forward to uh, being told what to do for by parker it's nice when somebody else tells me what to do every once in a while so i like when parker kind of leads our draft coverage and I'll do the community draft again, which I immediately regret every time I do it. Uh, But we'll have the community mock draft again. Uh, We'll do that in July leading up to the draft, obviously. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of fun things over the summer, the off season. Uh, It's the time to kind of apply your trade and get better at writing and better at podcasting. And, you know, GBB doesn't slow down. We actually kind of accelerate. Uh, We're we're, we're foot on the gas all the time over at grizzlybearblues.com. So, and starting this podcast as the offseason begins is a great example of that. So make sure you're following us at SBN Grizzlies. Lots of great stuff coming over the offseason. And, uh, and make sure you're following uh, Paca underscore Flocka on Twitter, too. He's, he's a rising star in, in the Grizzlies media verse, and I'm glad he's on my team.
Well, Joe, I'm glad to be on your team. I'm glad to be the I'm trying to trying to think of the good good comparison here. I'm, I'm glad to be the uh, Anthony Davis to your LeBron James in a sense. And you know, uh, just I, I hope you all really like this show. It's something I've been excited about for a while now. And just uh, reply to me on Twitter, DM DM me on Twitter, Paco underscore Flocka to let me know what you think of the show. I promise, not all of them are going to be an hour long. I I, I wanted to get two of my two of the best people to talk basketball with, with Joe and Connor on to talk about this kind of stuff to give an intro to this podcast i promise it'll be shorter but nonetheless thank you for listening to this edition of the long view